Hey, it's Sarah, and this is Kids These Days, a podcast brought to you by grant funding from the Kansas Department for Children and Families. So now that you've heard what big body play is from the expert, I want to take today's episode to talk about some tips to implement it. You know, expand on some of the things that Francis and I talked about last week. But I want to do a quick recap first. So big body play defined by Francis Carlson as a play style that gives children the opportunities they need for optimum development across all domains from physical to cognitive and language to social and emotional. And we know that children engage in big body play in many different ways, alone, with objects, and with others in that kind of rough and tumble fashion or other organized game of games with rules that I think we often think about when we think of big body play. And while the most obvious benefit of big body play is that physical development, we've learned that it truly fosters development across all developmental domains. So now that you know the why and the importance, let's talk about the how. In my interview with Frances, she talked a lot about how um, big body play helps children to man- manage risks. Um, of course, our number one job is to keep the kids safe. No one wants a child to break a bone or get their eye poked out. But as Frances states in her book, part of the well-documented value of play to learning and development is directly related to the risks children face and their play and their physical and social problem solving they must do to navigate those risks successfully. So how do we, as the adults charged with keeping kids safe and providing them meaningful and appropriate learning experiences, how do we find a risk level that's both appropriate and acceptable? Well, we do this by ensuring that the big body play that happens in our program embraces positive risk and works to minimize negative risk. So negative risk or like the potential for harm outweighs any positive potential outcome. So the example Francis gives in the book is allowing a child to climb a 10-foot rope ladder where there's no ground cover, as opposed to a 6-foot ladder with with a sufficient layer of shock-absorbing ground cover, or what she calls positive risk, a risk that is managed to prevent major physical harm with the potential for the child to experience positive physical and emotional gains from making the effort and succeeding. And it's really important to note here that any activity involving risk for children under the age of like seven or eight should absolutely be consistently and actively supervised by adults. How do we create an environment that supports children's need to engage in big body play while allowing for the factors of positive risk and active constant supervision? Well, just like everything else in early childhood, we plan for it. So I've kind of broken it down. I've kind of broken down planning for big body play into what I see are three main topics. So space and equipment, supervision, facilitation and support, and then scheduling activities, setting boundaries and expectations. So let's talk about space and equipment first. So throughout the rest of the episode, um, I'm going to reference the Kansas regulation books. And in the show notes, I put the specific regulation numbers that I'm pulling from because I am very much just paraphrasing. So in the regulation books for home care providers, preschools, and child care centers, it states that you have to have a designated area for outdoor play and large motor activities, that outdoor play equipment is safely constructed in good repair, 
you know, is in a place that's free of health, safety, and environmental hazards, that it's secure. If it's something that needs to be bolted, it's bolted. That it has impact absorbing surfacing material under and around the climbing equipment and swings. That the play area is arranged so that staff can provide close supervision at all times. That the outdoor equipment is provided in sufficient quantity so that each child has access to at least one activity that's appropriate. And unless extreme weather conditions prevail, children should have a daily period of outdoor play under the supervision of an adult. So when planning your gross motor spaces to support that big body play, we want to just be sure that we have plenty of open areas, which I know isn't always possible depending on your play space. But children are way more likely to engage and return to and follow the rules and expectations of big body play if they have the space available. So outdoors think grassy areas, space away from climbers, etc. Indoors think you know, floor space with mats, uh, pushing shelves back for some of that um, group big body play, rolling on large balls, wrestling, jumping, lifting like chairs or dumbbells, pushing chairs or maybe another child in a box. But remembering that that big body play also includes those solo things like jumping, climbing and much more. So Being sure to utilize the play equipment both inside and outside like a climber is a great way to encourage that solo big body play and really looking at the equipment that you have. So then let's jump to the second piece of what I'm breaking down for planning for big body play is that supervision, facilitation, and support. And again, I want to quickly reference some stuff that I pulled from the reg books. So in home care providers, each child shall be under the supervision of a provider who is responsible for the child's health, safety, and well-being. And each provider has to be aware at all times of the location of each child in that, in that person's care and the activities in which they're engaged. And then if you look at the preschool and child care book, it says that each child in care shall be under the supervision of a person who's 16 years of older, who is responsible for that child's health, safety, and well-being. So back in episode 53, that first part of um, what is big body play, we noted that it's very important that children typically engage in big body play with others that they consider friends or friendly because it's something that they enjoy and crave doing. And I get it. If big body play is not something that you, the supervising adult, are accustomed to or fully comfortable with yet, you're likely to feel some unease or stress while watching or facilitating this type of play. So how do you know during that supervision, how do you know that it's that it's appropriate big body play and not fighting? Well, as you may have guessed, Francis has three simple ways of distinguishing between the two. So the first is facial expressions. Right, kids are smiling and laughing. Their faces are free and easy, and their muscle tone overall is very relaxed, as opposed to like grimacing and scowling faces or crying or rigid, controlled, stressed, clenched muscle tone that you might see of children engaged in fighting. And the second part is willingness to participate. 
So the kids, their intention is to have fun and they join in the activity voluntarily as opposed to, you know, the aggressor using force to harm or control the other child or to inflict pain on another that you would likely see in fighting. And then the third way Francis outlines to distinguish big body play from fighting would be a willingness to return and extend the play. So children invite others to join them and then they readily return for more as opposed to children fleeing from the situation as soon as possible and not returning voluntary or even refusing to play with that other child. Some things that you might likely see if there was fighting going on. And so if you'll remember that this planning topic isn't just supervision, but also that facilitation and support. But what do I mean by that? Well, research shows that when you, as the adult, are educated on what big body play is, its importance, how to do it, great start listening to these episodes, and when you're more active yourself, children are more likely to engage in more productive play. Francis talked about how uh, four-year-old girls are most influenced by the activity levels of females that care for them during this time of being four-year-old than any time in their life. You know, that running, climbing, throwing, catching, falling down on the ground, um, they're all things that children benefit from seeing you do. And engaging in these activities with the children puts you in an active supervision role. And listen, I get it. You know, we're all at different levels of physical activity. I personally, not nearly as active as I'd like to be or as I used to be when I was a classroom teacher. But just know that any bit of activity on your part um, to engage with the children is shown to have benefits. So then finally, my third part of breaking down planning of big body play is scheduling activities and setting boundaries and expectations. So again, I want to pull from the reg books. Um, the reg books for home care providers, preschool, child care centers all require that we plan and provide activities that promote, in addition to other, other areas of development, specifically large motor and small mo- motor development, like running, climbing, jumping, grasping objects, drawing, buttoning, tying, etc., as well as opportunities for at least one hour of physical activity daily, either indoors or outdoors. In addition to the Kansas regs, the National Association for Sport and Physical Education recommends the following amounts of movement and physical large muscle activities each day. For infants, they recommend daily access to both structured and unstructured activities and equipment, For toddlers, they recommend at least 30 minutes of structured and 60 minutes of unstructured physical activity. And for preschoolers, they recommend at least 60 minutes of structured and 60 minutes of unstructured physical activity. I want to talk about a few things that we all know to be true. First, kids need to move all the time in short bursts and in sustained vigorous play. They are wigglers, they are movers, their bodies crave movement. We also live in Kansas, where it can be all four seasons in one day. And that the Kansas regulations support both indoor and outdoor 
supervised gross motor play. So how do we harness the power of big body play to take into account regulations, recommendations, and those three things that we know to be true? Well, we schedule it. Yes, you can schedule big body play. And I would argue, especially when you first introduce it, especially in those group settings or big body play with others, that you should schedule it. You know, knowing when and where something is going to happen helps us feel more prepared and more likely to engage in a positive way. Scheduling big body play allows you to plan a structured activity, which again is recommended, for those short bursts of energy, especially think like in the morning or before nap, right? Providing their bodies that calm they need to focus. And research also shows that providing children these frequent scheduled big body play activities leads to better attention later on and even more appropriate big body play down the line. And so remember, this planning topic is a two-parter, like the last one, not just scheduling the activities, but setting boundaries and expectations. You all know that children crave routine and predictability. They want to know what is expected of them. And we've talked about this at length in other episodes covering routines and schedules and transitions, feeling our feelings, free play, and many more about, you know, the importance of providing environmental cues like expectation boards or visual schedules. So I hope that it is natural to you to think of these types of supports when you think of big body play. And I also know that when developmentally appropriate, children who help create the boundaries and expectations of any kind of play, they're more likely to follow them. Francis gives a really awesome example of like an expectations board or some rules for that big body play activity with others of wrestling. Wrestling only while upright on bent knees. Place arms between shoulders and waist, not around necks or heads. And I would add, um, which is something I've added in classrooms that I've worked with before, I didn't really add them. Actually, the kids came up with them. So I want to add it to this. When laughing and smiling stops, play stops, right? Until we can get it back on track. And if the other person says stop, you stop. And rules or expectations like these help children begin to tune into their own and others' emotions and feelings and sensations and touch limits as well as beginning that practice of understanding consent. You know, for those of you that have attended one of my trainings on environmental setups, you've maybe seen the indoor climbing expectations board. This is a really great way to set expectations around big body play with objects. You know, things like I can go up the pink stairs and down the purple slide, or I can go up the blue slide and down the green stairs, because yes, Going up the slide is completely developmentally appropriate and maybe adding one person on the slide at a time. In addition, you know, I think it would be more than appropriate and really kind of cool to create expectations around solo big body play. And of course, you know, the kids are going to love taking pictures of themselves doing these things. Like, you know, we jump from the climber or the railroad ties. We can roll down the grassy hill. Um, I can swing back and forth or twist myself on the swings. I can push one other person in a box inside. I can lift two chairs and carry them across the room. Those are just 
some of the very few examples, right? Because as I'm sure you can guess, we could go, well, I could go on and on talking about specific examples of big body play and ways to facilitate it and supervise it, but there's only so many hours in the day. (laughs) So I will say, if you're interested in implementing big body play, like hopefully after listening to these episodes, you're like, okay, that doesn't sound as crazy as I thought maybe it did. Like big body play isn't just rough and tumble. It isn't just wrestling. It's jumping and running and rolling and interacting with other objects and getting my my own needs met. Like it's not just, you know, WWE, but, you know, after listening to all of this and kind of processing it, like my biggest recommendation would be to get Francis's book. And no, this is not a sponsored thing. I get absolutely nothing out of you getting or buying Francis's book. No money, no cupcakes, nothing. Well, I mean, other than knowing that you're getting some wonderful, developmentally appropriate information about big body play. That said, please do not hesitate to reach out to us to, you know, ask questions about big body play or how to get started and share with us some of the things, the ways that you're implementing big body play or, you know, some of these expectations and rules around big body play. Like, share it with us. Because, you know, I think, I hope as you guys have listened to the podcast over the last year and some change, that we can give you ideas and give you resources, but you're the ones that take it and use it. And you're the ones in the trenches all day, every day. And I think it's really important that your peers see what you're doing and see that it's not so scary and it's kind of fun and the children love it. And so we would love if you shared that with us. Um, you can email us at kidsthesedayspod at gmail or hit us up on the social medias. Facebook and Insta is at kidsthesedayspod and Twitter at ktdpod. And I want to be sure that you tune in next week to hear more from my interview with Francis, where we really dive into the topic of consent and my body, my choice, somewhat related to big body play, but kind of talking about it broadly. And then the week after that, Rudy is back for good. And we are doing an unscripted episode because it's been a minute, even with our short little happy birthday episode. And we have a special guest that's joining us then as well. So we have a lot of new, fun, exciting things coming up with the podcast that we really, really can't wait for you guys to hear about and be a part of. So don't forget to hit subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next time. Kids These Days is a co-production of the Casido Kids Infant Toddler Specialist Network and the Casido Workforce Development Programs. These programs are supported through a grant from the Kansas Department for Children and Families Childcare and Early Education Services. However, information or opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the position or policy of the agency, and no official endorsement should be inferred. 
If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or want to share your practice related to this or a previous episode, please email us at kidsthesedayspod at gmail and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at kidsthesedayspod and on Twitter at ktdpod. Don't forget to hit subscribe, rate, and review. That's how others learn about us. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by Sarah Holmes. Music track Hackbeat by Kevin McLeod.